Hey, I'm not sure if I told you this before, but I, um, I grew up in Long Beach, California. And, um, and then I went to school in Santa Barbara, California. If I'm honest, Santa Barbara is just a wee bit nicer than Long Beach, California. And from Santa Barbara, I took a job with a company that moved me to Hawaii. And that would just be a wee bit nicer than Santa Barbara and Long Beach. And from Hawaii, the company moved me here to Kansas City, which is, uh, which honestly, I've been, I was driving up here this morning and I was just in this state of reverie and thinking about, my goodness, I've been here 24 years and it's been quite a journey and this is home and truthfully, it's way better. Um, Chiefs are better, everything's better here in, in Kansas City. And, um, but when I arrived in 1998, in August of 1998 from Hawaii, uh, I would say that uh, I was pretty broken and busted up inside. When I was on that island in Hawaii, it was really only for four months, but uh, I had lost a sense of who I was. I was single at the time. I was trying to date a girl that lived in Baltimore. No bueno. Doesn't work. <laughs> this is before FaceTime. I had a pager. That's all I had. It was, it was pretty, pretty challenging. Great gal. Unhealthy relationship. Lost a sense of who I was. So I arrived in Kansas City just kind of in a shaky place. And God's done just crazy cool stuff. But reflecting this morning, there was one, there was one person that took me under his, his wing a little bit. Um, I would say that when I got here, like, um, yes, I, I had faith in Jesus, I was following Jesus, but I was stuck in some things. I was stuck in some patterns of living that were not healthy, to some degree destructive, continued, that those patterns forced me to just kind of be in on myself, just kind of self-absorbed. And this older gentleman, his name is Mac, took me under his wing. Once or twice a month, we'd meet at the local Hy-Vee for a cheap breakfast, and he would just listen to me. He'd just ask questions. Long story short, I ended up working for his organization, and within seven years, he handed me the, the baton of leading his organization. But I'll never forget, I'll never forget that um, moment where he, he asked me to step into like a pretty big opportunity and to take kind of, you know, to, 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 to say yes to this opportunity. And I just looked at him, I said, Mac, you don't know me that well, and you're giving me this responsibility. Isn't that risky? And he just looked at me and kind of shrugged. He's like, well, all life's a risk, so go do it, <laughs> right? And he just, he kind of empowered me in that moment. And now here, 24 years later, um, I would just say that was one of those linchpin moments in my life by a leader that knew that he wasn't just a traveler, he was a guide. Because we've all had leaders, I'm going to do a little math for you here in this moment, we've, we've all had leaders that did really bad math. They were, they did division. I brought a leader that just was toxic and would just divide people up, send them in their tribes and tell them like, why don't you guys just fight with each other and figure it out? That's a toxic leader. We also have had other leaders that they just do subtraction. They're going to take from you to build themselves up. You ever had a leader like that? Right? They just kind of glory hounds. Anybody? 
Not that we're talking badly about anyone in this moment, but I think we've experienced that kind of leadership. And where most fall as, as it relates to leadership is right there at the plus. They're just going to like plus things that you're doing. They're like, hey, uh, the door's always open. I'm always here. How can I help you and all things? Well, I'm telling you, Mac was neither uh, or any of these three things. What Mac was is he was a multiplying leader. He knew that, yeah, he had moments of, you know, like we all have moments but he wanted to multiply something in me that would carry on beyond him and beyond me. Now, where does that come from? That comes from the person of Jesus. See, Mac was a follower of Jesus, and he got it from Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago and said this crazy, crazy thing. John chapter 12, excuse me, John chapter 14, verse 12, here's what he says to this totally just bumbling idiot kind of group of friends. They were called the disciples. He told them this incredibly crazy statement. Very truly, I tell you, he says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Now, what kind of works had Jesus been doing by this point? Oh, like healing people, casting out demons, you know, turning just a few loaves of fish, you know, loaves and fish into like feeding thousands, like those kinds of things that he's been doing. He says that uh, for anyone who believes in me will do the works I've been doing, really, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. In other words, Jesus knew he's got a short kind of span here on earth. He's got this ragtag bunch of uh, individuals who, man, they just seem like an absolute mess. And he's telling them, you're going to do what I'm doing, and you're even going to do it better. That's crazy. That's a multiplying leader from the absolute get-go. And I just, a couple, couple of words here I just want to key in on. Whoever believes... Now, we read that word believes, and we generally, in our kind of American mindset, we think of intellectual assent. Like, okay, uh, I, I believe something, I must agree with it. Like, that's my belief system. This word, belief, is a verb. It's like ongoing, it is active, and it is in action. I had one friend tell me that he works with Haitians, and he's been working to try to get them out of the country because they've been run over by warlords, drug lords, and the whole thing. It's just a mess in Haiti right now. So these, these people that he's trying to bring to the United States, their lives are in peril every single day, and he's just been freaking out about it. This man's a pastor, and, and um, so he'll get on the phone with his friends in, in Haiti, and they'll say, oh, pastor, we have something we want you to listen to. He's like, okay, what is it? And they'll, I, they, they literally like, we want you to listen to this message, this sermon. It's awesome. And the pastor got it, and he goes, hey, that's, that's my sermon. They're like, yes, pastor, it's your sermon. You need to listen to it. And then they, and then they said this. They said, you need to take what's in your head and you need to move it to your heart. And from your heart, it needs to move to your feet. See, that's what belief is. Belief is something that's so all-encompassing that it ultimately isn't a noun. It moves to this action level of verbness. That's what belief is. And that's what the disciples were experiencing in this moment. They're like watching him do it. They're experiencing him do it. And then he says, you're gonna do even greater things than these, than everything you've seen me do, you're going to do more and better. Radical. Is that not radical? 
So how's Jesus going to do it? Well, the first way he's going to do it is he's going to get out of the way by way of his death, his resurrection, and his ascension up to be with the Father. He knows if they're going to grow up, he needs to practice conspicuous absence. That's the first thing. It's a crazy strategy. I, uh, I love what Greg's doing here. Greg's one of the key volunteers, and he's just walking around like a, like a fretful dad because he's training somebody else. What's he doing today? He's getting out of the way. He's practicing conspicuous absence, so if the lights go out or there's smoke somewhere that there shouldn't be, you'll know we're training right now, <laughs> right? But I love it. He knows that he needs to multiply himself and get out of the way. The second thing that Jesus is going to do is he's going to send his Holy Spirit to amplify, to empower, to fuel, to blow into a field of dandelions, and that only the Holy Spirit can do and will do. And the third thing is Jesus needs a method. He needs a method. How do you take all this raw material that does not look promising in its own kind of parts, namely these disciples, Matthew, John, James, and Mary Magdalene, and all, and all the other, like, how are we going to turn this mess into something that's going to do greater things than his three years on earth? He needs a method, just like I need a method right now when I am teaching my three teenage daughters how to drive. I need a method. Uh, how many of you have taught your children how to drive? Awesome. How many of you have taught three children all at the same time how to drive? Anyone? All right. Let me just tell you. Yeah? I saw a hand. That's, that's incredible. Have I shared this with you before? I forget what stories I tell. Um, but I'm just going to tell them again if, if you have heard them because this is frightening. This is really, really scary, <laughs> scary stuff because there's challenges in teaching this young generation how to drive. Number one is they don't want to drive. I just don't get that. They think they live in a whole different virtual reality or something. They're just not motivated like I was motivated, like I assume many of us were motivated. Number two is that they didn't ride bikes like we rode bikes. So like when I was 10 years old, I'm out there in the crazy streets. I know just a general traffic flow. I have a sense of, you know, flow of traffic, violations within traffic. Like I, you just develop that sense. But number three, and this is the biggest, our children today have never looked out a windshield. <laughs> they have never looked out their car window. Why? Because they're down here right? They're just down here. And before, before that, if it was before 2007, they were up there. They're just watching the DVD plan. They had their headphones on. They weren't taking any of it in. But you know the biggest obstacle for you and I in training and developing uh, drivers? What actually is totally foreign to them is so natural to us. We have an unconscious competency. We don't even know the things that we do when we drive. We just drive, and it accesses a different part of our brain. We're not even processing. We're thinking about stuff at work. We're doing other things. We're checking out. We're picking our nose. We're doing all those kinds of things because we can, because it comes so natural to us. So we forget, how do I transfer over what is so natural to me to what is so foreign to others. So I found myself saying things like, uh, honey, let's go ahead and change lanes, having never taught her how to change a lane before. And we're going 45 on a pretty you know, fast thoroughfare. She goes, okay. <laughs> Almost flipped it on 69 highway, right? Here's another moment. Okay, honey, I want you just to get in over into your furthest left lane. So what'd she do? She got over 
into, if there's a double yellow line here, she got over into the furthest left, left lane. Or driving at night, honey, you broke a little late there. Like um, we just came up really fast at that red light. Okay, and then it hit me. Honey, do you know when a car lights up from behind? Do you know what those are? She's like, no, Dad. Those are brake lights. Those lights are connected to the brakes. That tells you that it's stopping in front of you, right? Oh, didn't know that, Dad. We've been driving for months. I never thought to tell her about brake lights or yellow lines or how to change lanes. I need a method just like Jesus needed a method, and actually his method works for a lot of things. It works for dating if you're interested. It works for parenting. It works for driving. It works for uh, if you're a leader at an office and you want to pass transfer knowledge, skill, and wisdom on to somebody else. If you want to do the thing that we all should do, which is work yourself out of a job, it works like this. Gonna Oh, check this out. This is the coolest thing ever. Have you seen that? I just, I just thought, oh man, I'm so happy. Okay, here's the journey. There's four stages to it. You're gonna take somebody on a journey, right? Just like Jesus took his disciples to a place where they would do more than even he did. And the first stage is called, what I just call the yippee stage. This is Jesus like, hey, come with me. We're going to, we're gonna change the world. And I'm just going to do a little like, cool guy stuff that you can see that I, I'm going to heal this person. I'm going to do this thing. Crowds are going to follow us. We're going to be like the hot thing in town. And they're like, yeah, that's so cool, man. Yippee. They have a sense of vision, but they have no sense of the cost or what it's going to really entail. All right? So this is that yippee stage, kind of the blithe sense of yes, where you're like, all right, this is great. I remember I put my daughter in the car, and like, we're going to learn how to drive. She's like, awesome, let's get going. I'm like, all right, no, no, we're not even turning on the car yet, right? <laughs> and we'd spent like an hour breaking down, and it's like, dad, this is so boring, right? So, but the thought of it, she thought she was going to hit the Autobahn right out of the, right out of the gate. <laughs> this is that yippee stage where they're all in, have no idea what it's gonna require of them. But then we drop off this cliff, this cliff where Jesus begins to say, and by the way, let me give you, the language here is, I do, you watch. I do, you watch. I'm gonna do some things, it's gonna be really cool, just want you to be around, want you to kinda catch it, see it, observe it, we'll break it down, but I'm gonna do the work, you watch. Now, this, when we get to this stage, this is, I do, you help. This is Jesus saying to Philip, hey, how are we gonna feed these 5,000 plus people? And Philip's going, uh, what do you mean? How, uh, there's not a village for miles, Jesus. Uh, we don't have, this would be take a year's wages to feed everyone here. It's like, okay, well, let's figure it out. That immediately puts you in the yikes stage. Like, I don't know that I'm cut out for this. I don't know that this is actually what I signed up for. Here, it's very high vision. But here, it's like, oh my gosh, what's high, what's in your face? The costs. Uh, if you've taken a new job, 
You said yes, salary compensation looked pretty good. You get here, you're like, oh man, I don't know, I just feel like an idiot. Well, guess what? Any new job, there's at least a 45 to 90 day idiot factor you're gonna experience. All the acronyms, all the new job, all the processes. You're gonna feel absolutely horrible and you might even get to this place we call the pit of despair. The pit of despair where you go, man, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. And you run through the lens of the disciples, how many different times did they go, oh man, I don't know. And is Jesus even the one that I think that he is? And I'm certainly, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. What do you mean, Jesus? We're gonna go across to the lake over, over there? That, that's Gentile country, we don't, we don't go over there. I'm a good Jewish boy, we know to never cross that side of the lake. We're, oh, we're going, oh, we're going. And look, there's a naked man screaming and foaming at the mouth. He's running at us, I think he's gonna kill us, Jesus. I think he's gonna kill us. He goes by the name Legion because he's been possessed by legions of demons. I'm out, this is called the pit of despair. Yikes. And if you're leading somebody, you'll see them there, and, you, and, and the tendency is to go, hmm, maybe I didn't choose the right person. And the person that you've chosen is like, hmm, maybe I'm not the right person. This is the pit of despair. What do they need there? They need three things from you. They need simply your time. They need to be called back to the vision, which you called them to up here, and they just simply need grace or patience in the pit. And as you walk through with them, and as Jesus did so many times with his disciples, you make this next turn. And this next turn is what I call the yes stage. Now, did they say yes up here? Absolutely. Did they know what they were saying yes to? Absolutely not. But now they've experienced the, enough of the rugged costs, the sobering reality, that now they're like, okay. But now I'm starting to turn this corner, and Jesus basically said to his disciples, all right, you do, and I help. You do, and I help. I want you to go secure a donkey. I want you to go secure this. I want you to actually pray and heal these people. Three of us, we're going to go up to the mountain. You guys handle everything else. You do, I help. And why do we call this yes? This is like the sobering yes. This is like that moment where Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, where else can we go, Lord? You contain the words of, of life. You are the son of the living God. They had been through a lot in a short period of time. How many times, if you read the Gospels, you'll, you'll see this little refrain uh, about the disciples. Jesus heals somebody, or Jesus leads them through a, a thought process, and it goes, and then they believed. You ever see that? I mean, you're like eight chapters in, 12 chapters in, and then they believe. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Didn't they believe before? Isn't that why they're following? But isn't that the journey of following Jesus is constant moments of you believe again, and then you're not so sure again, and then you believe again, and you're not so sure again. So if we just kind of chunk it all, this moment is where I'm actually saying yes, and I have a bit of a picture of I know what I'm saying yes to now. I thought when I gave my life to Jesus, everything would go great. Be like a country song in reverse. I'd get my dog back, I'd get the, my girl back, I'd get everything back, I'd, I'd my truck, you know, and all this stuff. But wait, life got really, really hard, and there's this thing called suffering. And, the, and I still struggle with some doubts, and the sin in my life hasn't been fully eradicated. But I'm still with them, and I'm still here. We have to be able to walk people through 
this journey. And ultimately, from a deep yes, Jesus sends them on what I call the Yahoo stage. And the Yahoo stage, he did in many different ways. He did it on like a short-term little kind of mission trip, as it were. Check out Matthew uh, chapter 10, where he says this to his disciples. He's about just a third of the way through his developmental journey for them. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Look, look at that. I am sending you. I'm sending you out. This is Yahoo stage. You're going to do, and I'm going to cheer. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. I love that, that verse. Then a little bit later on, actually, Jesus dies for our sins. He is raised from the dead. He's about to ascend to the, to the heavenly throne where he is today. And he says to his disciples, who are doubting, it says, uh, let's look here, Matthew chapter 28. It literally, right before this, it says, and some doubted, but he sends them all. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is Jesus saying here? He's like, Everything I just did with you, do with others. Everything I just did with you, do with another. Everything I just did with you, do with others, and let that other do with others, and do with others. And, and then we become like dandelions. Can't just be you doing it all anymore. Can't just be you 12. Can't just be you 72. How are we going to be in the year 2022, where there's going to be people, 2.3 billion people following Jesus? Well, it's going to have to take the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have to actually leave to make room for you to grow and be stretched, and you need a method. Acts chapter 1, by the way, he also sends them. Check it out. He gives a little bit of a geographical plan, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Remember, how's this happen? Holy Spirit can't just be our own efforts, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. In their little part of the world, there, there was uh, Judea, Jerusalem. There was Judea, the region. There was Samaria where no one went, and he's calling them into the back alleys of, of their region, and then all the way to the ends of the earth, from here to here to here to here. Here's how it's going to happen. And you're going to be my witnesses. And guess what witnesses actually means in the Greek? Marturos, which means martyr. So he gives them a sense of there's going to be a yikes stage here, and there's going to be a sobering yes here. In other words, Jesus expects us to guide, not just travel. This was from the very design. It's how he designed creation, as we've seen, microbiology. It's how the whole system is healed, and it's how his church and his people are going to grow. And it's just an absolutely beautiful and risky design. I love when we began the service, we showed this little, uh, played this song, Passing It On. And from Romans chapter one, verse six, uh, we popped this up and I just thought, That's, this is it, this is right here, here it is. Through him we receive both the generous gift of his life and the urgent task of passing it on to others. So that's my question for you. Who are you passing on the little that you have and know to others? Who are you guiding? Can't be about you. Can't be about just me. 
In fact, I'll tell you, when Mac kind of took me under his wing, started giving me these responsibilities, like I told you, in my faith, I was just kind of stuck. I was like trying to work on stuff. And it was getting me nowhere until I was called to something higher, until I was taken around this square. Guess what happened? All those things I was trying to work out, like, you know, patterns and behaviors and things that were bringing me down, bringing others down, they kind of went away. Because all of a sudden, I wasn't just focused on me. I was lifted up to something so much bigger than me. And I just didn't have time to mess with all that other stuff. And I was so captivated by being a part of something larger than me. See, if you're in a place right now where you're just like, man, I feel I'm struggling with doubts, or man, I'm, I feel like I'm in a ditch, or I've plateaued, or I just can't beat myself out of my own box, here's your antidote. Truly, you want to experience the joy that Jesus says that he has to give us, and you want to grow yourself to a whole nother level, switch from being a traveler to a guide. And you might go, whoa, wait a minute, I, you don't, A, know my life. I don't know what kind of destructive patterns you're talking about, Dan, but I know the ones that I have, and I don't want to pass those on fair. So let's just talk about some of the ditches, some of the things that keep us from walking others around them. And I've just given some fun names for, for it. And the first is the self-disser. You might be sitting here going, I'm going to disqualify myself. I, I, I don't, mm-mm, I can't do this. I can't actually lead anyone else in the ways of Jesus because uh, I need to get all the way around the square myself. No, you don't. No, you don't. When, when Philip encountered Jesus, he went to his friend Nathanael and said, hey, I think I found the guy. Um, and the, and Nathanael's like, what are you talking about? How, like, no, 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 you haven't. And Philip's like, well, just come and see. How far was Philip around the square when he told Nathanael about it? About right here. And so in the company that I work for, it's called Giant Worldwide. We have this little phrase, all you need to be with your clients is just two weeks ahead. Just be two weeks ahead. You're like, oh, I'm not sure I want to be with Giant Worldwide now. Doesn't sound like we're creating experts. It's actually a very smart model. How far do you need to be ahead of somebody in order to tell them about Jesus or offer what you have? Probably about two seconds ahead. So don't diss yourself. Don't disqualify yourself. That's number one. Here's number two. Number two is the person who invites somebody, hey, let's go on a journey. Good, you end great. And this is the dump and runner. You see that? Anybody work for a boss like that? Good. Sign online. All right, go. Go do it. Go do it at the level of my unconscious competency. This is what I did with my daughter's driving. Change lanes. Whoop. Hadn't taught them. Get into your furthest left lane. They didn't know anything about double yellow lines. (laughs) The dump and runner. Here's the the, uh, third one. The third one is... About right here, this is called the show. The show, which is you, I do, you watch forever. Because there's something so satisfying about being the subject matter expert, about the one who, who just you know has all the smoke and mirrors and knows all the Jedi tricks. <laughs> Guess where American evangelical church is in our day at, at, at large? 
This is where the church is. Church is, we're going to put on a show for you, and you're going to sit and watch and be a spectator. And then we expect you to grow. That's what I love about the video and the vision. You might, you might be going, well, this is all I do. I just I love the services here, and that's totally cool. But there's so much more. There's seven journeys. There's, there's strategy and a growth going here, there, a- anywhere and everywhere. The church should be the church. And for far too long, we thought this was the only leg of the experience, and we're missing so very much. Here's the next one. The next one is here at that pit of despair. The tendency is going to be kind of like the Israelites in the Old Testament when they they left Egypt and things got hard. They couldn't get water. They couldn't get food, right? They're like, let's just go back to Egypt. I know we were slaves, but at least we knew that we could count on three square meals a day, right? So this is the cut baiter. This is where you either go, I'm not sure we have the right person, or things get kind of hard, and you just want to cut bait. By the way, this is my dating life for much of my 30 years before I got married. She's hot. This is amazing. I'm going to tell her all my stories. Oh, no, she has man hands. I'm out. (laughs) And it was kind of true. Not the man hands part. That's a Seinfeld reference, so please no emails and don't tweet that. However... However, what God was calling me, and I really remember the day, I remember the moment where he says, uh, in just that little subtle, nuanced way, I want to I teach you a deeper love. You have a pattern of doing this, and you're always going to find reasons why you can't go any further. I want to <clears throat> call you into a deeper love. Uh, here's the next, uh, the next kind of stop along the way, which is, When we get about right here, we are the growth capper, the growth capper. What do we mean by that? It's like, good, you're finally functional. You're finally competent. Now I can just leave you there, and if you would just stay there for the rest of your life, because I don't have to worry about it any longer. Why are we capping growth at that point? Because actually, we want them to begin innovating. We want them to begin teaching and training others in in the ways. And if we're just trying to keep a warm body in in a slot there, it's like, man, there's no imagination. There's a capped sense of growth. Just do your job. Just do your job, please. When in fact, the journey for every follower of Jesus, and this is true in your job as well, is we don't just go around the square once. Here's what it looks like. Go around the square. 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 Go around the square, around the square for a lifetime. And we're bringing others along with us. I think I have one more here. I've lost, I lost count, but it's the arrived leader, which just goes once and says, I've arrived, and now I'm just parting on to everyone else. Do you want to follow somebody like that, who just thinks they've got it all figured it out? Apostle Paul says, not that we've arrived, but we take hold of what we've been, um, of what we've received and been laid seize of. Like, it's not this once I, I figured it out, I said the prayer, I'm, I've, I've got my life in order. No, I want to follow somebody who's constantly saying, search me, O God, know me, know my anxious thoughts, know my evil ways, and lead me in the everlasting life. Lead me in the everlasting life. Lead me in the everlasting life. That's what I want in my journey. And that's the kind of person I want to follow, the humility to say, I've never quite arrived. I'm constantly in in humility following Jesus. So I want to just put up uh, all these potential ditches, and I wanted to ask 
have you ask yourself, let's just put it up on the screen if we can. Uh, let's go back just one here to the whole list, all the dishes. Just want to see all the dishes on the screen. There we go. There we go. Um, making sure I didn't miss any. Oh, the cut baiter. Missed the cut baiter. So it's up there too. So where would you find yourself if there's one particular deal like, ah, I think that's me. Maybe I think that's me right now. What would that be for you? Anybody would say, I'm the self-disser. I just disqualify myself. I don't feel like I'm ready to pass it on. Okay. Great. How, how many of you would be like the show? This is my thing, actually. I'm kind of, I like to be the guy that has all the smoke and mirrors. And I'll take it on even if I'm a bottleneck because I have a chronic need to perform. <laughs> how many of you can kind of resonate with that? And you're just like, okay, I think I'm the show. All right, a little bit. Online, you can pop your response in the, um, in the chat box as well. How many of you would say you're the cut baiter, just like you give up too early on folks, or you personally don't follow yourself all the way around the square, cut bait quick? Anybody? How about the growth capper? Just don't push people into that next place where they do and you cheer. Anybody? Okay. And then lastly, the arrived leader. We're just going, you know what? This was challenging. I need to keep growing myself, and I don't have anyone pouring into me. I'm all guide and not traveler, and I need somebody guiding me. How many of you would say, say that? Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I love how God has designed the world. I love how in biology, I love how in horticulture, I love how through the disciplines and academics of education and of science and even of art. I love how his church has grown. You look at some of the greats of the world. Billy Graham had somebody. Mother Teresa had somebody. Paul had Barnabas. Timothy had Paul. Timothy was pouring into others. Jesus, he says, even had the Father pouring into him. This is how the church grows. This is how your life becomes fully alive, is us pouring into others. No longer the traveler where it's all just about me, but now the guide, as imperfect and maybe not all put together as we want to be, but I'm telling you, you have things to pass on. And it makes such a difference. So Mac, my my guide, one of a few, but he's, um, he has stage four cancer. And I got word that he's not, um, not doing well. Lives out of state and um, about three hours away. And just last Sunday, a week ago, I just went to see him. And um, we spent about three hours together. And truthfully, uh, it was a complicated relationship and, and is. But the only thing I had in my heart to do was just to tell him, Mac, 
my life would nowhere be what it is today if it weren't for you. I wouldn't be married to the woman I'm married to. I wouldn't have the job that I have. I wouldn't have the 24 years of just such wonderful experiences in this city if it weren't for you. And he can have a lot of different people, I think, tell him the same thing because he's a multiplying guide. And so when you get to the end of your life, who's going to be the person that will travel miles and hours to just simply tell you, thank you, my life has never been the same since? You have it in you. You have something to give away. And so, Father, we just pray. We just pray in this moment. We find ourselves in ditches. We're consumed by distractions. We're riddled with doubt. We disqualify. We got all our ruts. And yet, we know that you have placed people in our lives that we can develop, that we can guide. Maybe some of us just need to rise up with more intention on behalf of our children and ask the question, what am I multiplying in my kids? Others of us are bosses and supervisors and business owners, and what am I multiplying into my clients and into my employees and coworkers? And some of us are in small groups around here, and we just need to ask the question, what am I multiplying? Am I doing it with intention? And some of us, God, just feels stuck, plateaued, discouraged, doubt. And would you actually give us vision? Not just for our own life, but actually give us vision for someone else's. I know that's how we experience your joy. I know that's how our faith goes to another level when it ceases to be about us and becomes about the other. Give us a picture, a person, a name, we pray. In Jesus, your name, amen.